Welcome to The Buzz with ACT-IAC, your source for the hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Join us each week to hear insights from government and industry experts, stay informed on the challenges facing the public sector, and gain access to valuable reports and thought leadership. Enjoy. Private and public sector workforces are adapting to rapid technology change, shifting demographics, and evolving customer and employee expectations. Competition for talent is intense, and in the federal financial management sector of the future, the nature of the work itself is going to evolve. How should the federal financial management workforce modernize to embrace these changes? That's the focus of today's podcast. My name is Sid Getz, Senior Vice President at CGI Federal. It's my honor to guest host today's podcast on behalf of the ACT-IAC Federal Insights Exchange for, De for the Department of Veterans Affairs. I'm fortunate to be joined by John Rychalski, Assistant Secretary for Management and Chief Financial Officer of the Department of Veterans Affairs. As you'll hear, John is passionate about modernizing the federal financial management workforce. At the VA, John is responsible for directing the department's budgetary, financial, capital asset management, and business oversight functions. Prior to his appointment at the VA, John was the acting principal deputy assistant secretary of defense for health affairs and deputy assistant secretary of defense for health budgets and financial policy. He first entered federal service through the Air Force, where he served as an officer in the Air Force Medical Service Corps. In addition to his federal service, John worked in the civilian healthcare consulting industry for nearly eight years. Welcome, John, and thanks for joining the podcast. All right, so I'm going to start with a confession. I used ChatGPT to help me develop the ideas in this, in this podcast. And I'm telling you this because I think this new technology is a good example of a challenge and an opportunity um, as we think about the future of work. So let's talk about the problem we're trying to solve. How would you, John, characterize the key challenges facing today's federal financial management workforce? You know, I'm going to uh, have a confession, too, that I'm going to use chat GPT to answer the questions. <laughs> the key challenges facing today's federal management workforce, I mean, there, there are many. It's uh, recruiting like a, a younger, interested um, workforce that's, uh, that's trained, especially uh, in the areas of like accounting and auditing, um, it's retaining them. I mean, there's a highly mobile workforce now that uh, you know we didn't used to have. So then, being able to develop people and succession planning, um, you know, is a challenge. Keeping them interested and motivated, providing them the training and opportunity. I think that um, you know younger people are looking for a more glamorous type work lifestyle. Everybody wants to be an influencer you know, on social media. Nobody wants to come work for the government doing accounting. So it's really like it runs the gamut. And it's just a very uh, a changing and dynamic workforce. And I think sometimes the government is just viewed as a very staid employer. Yeah. And you actually touched on many of the points that that uh, I was planning to delve in a little deeper. So that, that works out perfectly. So let's start with um, supporting the current workforce. So we know that no modernization effort is going to occur overnight. What are the short-term steps that CFOs are working on now 
to ensure that the current workforce feels supported and has the resources and training it needs as this modernization effort occurs. I think the things we have to really focus on are one, making uh, the government appear, uh, you know, or, or make sure people know how attractive a government employment can be. It's interesting, we'll have contractors working side by side with government employees doing the same work, but for some reason, uh, you know, the, the contractor lane is more appealing to a younger uh, a younger audience. If- the thing is uh, pay, and I don't know factually, but I suspect that um, private firms are paying more than uh, entry-level government jobs, which is a challenge for us as well. And then when you start um, having things like tuition reimbursement, flexible work arrangements, some of the things that are easier to implement in the private sector are things that, you know, if we can't offer, we're going to continue to struggle to uh, recruit, attract, and develop talent. So in my estimation, it's things like that. It's, um, you know, the how attractive is the government? How competitive are our pay and benefits, our flexibilities, um, and things like that that would make somebody want to come with, and, you know, come to the government and stay with the government. Uh, if we don't do that, you know, we're going to continue to struggle in recruiting, uh, you know, the top talent or any talent, really. And that, that makes perfect sense. But do you feel like there are attempts at, at change there? Are there, are there things happening? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. I know that, um, for example, uh, during the pandemic and specifically at the VA, we've received, um, you know, quite a few uh, hi- special hi- hiring authorities uh, for different professions, also critical uh, critical pay for certain skills, things like that. So the opportunity exists to do those things. We've been looking at them, uh, looking at how quickly can we onboard somebody? What kind of uh, recruiting or retention bonuses can we provide to them? How much, in fact, we recently in legislation got authority to increase the amounts that we can pay for tuition reimbursement uh, for, uh, for, for employees things like that, that, yeah, people are looking at. The challenge is in the federal government, it's not quite as quick or flexible maybe as it could be in the commercial world. And so to the extent that we have somebody that's championing it and trying to move it along fairly quickly, which I think we do, um, but sometimes it's it only happens when there's like a dire need. I saw something last week uh, from OPM, and it was a data point on the top uh, career fields or progressions that tend to migrate around within the federal government. And three of them are, are bread and butter. They were auditor, uh, budgeting, and accountant that tend to move from agency to agency the most. I think the other two were eight, human resources and acquisition. And I know that human resources and acquisition have authority for special critical pay uh, bonuses for retention and recruiting. Uh, we need to do the same for the financial community, to be honest, things like that. So, one of the one of the challenges that I think you alluded to a little bit, but um, maybe indirectly, was retaining your top talent. How do you, you know, so you you have some good talent in the government, but how do you keep them um, and avoid them being recruited uh, into the private sector? Because there's other things that you can do to to help that to prevent that. I should say there are there are things that we can do. We are doing. Uh, we should do better. Some of the big ones I've found during the pandemic that people like a flexible work arrangement. Many people like to work at home or at least have a hybrid work environment. So to the extent that you can offer that, you have, I think, a higher probability of retaining an employee. If you provide uh, a career path progression, uh, you're going to have a higher uh, potential to retain employees. If you're, uh, 
you know, your, your pay is going to be very similar, but if your, your bonuses, how you manage bonuses, if that's better, I mean, those are the types of things that you need to focus on. The big ones are quality of life and pay, to be honest, at least mm. what I found. Uh, and if we lose the ability to provide a flexible, like hybrid work environment, and another organization is doing so, then, you know, to the extent that positions open up in other agencies, we'll definitely lose people and probably lose a lot of our good people. Um, the other thing that we found is being able to hire anywhere in the country, especially for key positions or critical positions, where you can find somebody with just the right skill set, having the flexibility to do that, especially when it meets that person's needs, where they want to stay where they are, they want to work for the VA, but they don't want to move. Um, if you're able to do that, then they are much more likely to stay with you because they have the right situation you know, for their lifestyle. They're living where they want to live. They're doing the work that they want to work. And we've had a lot of success with that. Um, I am a little concerned, you know, as we progress, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about bringing people back into the office, which I support, um, but only to the extent that, you know, it matches the, uh, you know, the the workers, the employees needs to the extent that there's like a, you know, a disconnect between those, we're going to lose people. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, we're having very similar conversations in the private sector as well. So I see that, uh, you know, people talk about, uh, and that's where we could probably leverage an opportunity uh, you know, to retain or recruit people because quality of life, if the quality of life is a little bit better than the federal government, my sense is that people might be more interested in looking at a, a federal government career than if then, you know, than the civilian sector. If everybody has to go in, you know, to a, a, a private sector job, but they could have a hybrid work environment with the government. I mean, that would be a real, you know, real bonus for us. Just again, supporting the, the current workforce, just a little change in direction here. Um, are there ways to, to strengthen the federal financial management community by collaboration with professionals across other agencies and departments, sort of broadening the, the community? There are, and we don't do it as for sure as effectively uh, or as meaningfully as we could. But what I have found, we've hired people from Health and Human Services and some other agencies that have benefited from training education or you know the way that they do business and they brought new ideas but it was just kind of um, happenstance right like we hired somebody they were the most qualified but they brought a lot of kind of cool skills and ideas with them um, what we have not done i think well is to try and you know leverage that across the federal government uh, one thing that we're interested in doing this is a little bit longer term for us but is a a financial management certification kind of professionalization program that would be something like what DOD has done with their certification program. And I could see that being beneficial across the government such that we, you know, everybody that works in these career fields across the government has gone through a certain amount of training and received a certification that is then, you know, fungible or transferable across the government. Like if you did it in VA and then you wanted to move to DOD or vice versa, that certification, you know, was good for both places and you wouldn't have to go from VA to DOD and get recertified. And then, you know, that, that phrase, a uh, rising tide floats all boats is, and we struggle with that a bit. You know, we have people of all, all different levels of expertise um, and we've seen a real need to try and provide more training. And we think that doing so through a formal certification program, but I think to your point, um, you know, if we were able to, to do that as well as leveraging like the unique skill, skills people are learning in each agency and cross-level that, um, you know, we would be a lot better off. Yeah, that definitely seems like a, a win-win. All right, so let's talk about recruiting recruiting the future workforce. Um, John, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand you a superpower. 
And let's say you could transform the federal financial management workplace overnight. What would, what would that look like? You know what? It would look a lot more flexible. And by that, I mean, we would have more flexibility to set pay, to you know, offer jobs on the spot, to reduce the amount of time it takes to onboard someone. Um, we could make, um, you know, uh, I, I think um, more flexible decisions with respect to compensation packages. You know, for one person, it might be different for someone else. If they have student loans, maybe they want more student loan repayment. Uh, maybe somebody else doesn't need health insurance, but they would like to have more pay. Things like that, where we don't have the flexibility, it's a little bit more of a cookie cutter. So the one thing that I see, especially with this workforce, is um, you know we offer what we offer, and we have a hard time uh, deviating from that. If we had the ability to tailor a compensation package to an individual's specific needs, I think it would be much more attractive. And that you know I mentioned the hybrid work environment, being able to leverage that to the maximum extent, those types of things. And I don't even know that we really need more money, so to speak, having the flexibility to tailor something, uh, tailor what the package looks like uh, could be very beneficial. What about the, the the training? I mean, the you know, we, we talk about the pretty large cha- changes in technology. So the skill set that that, that, that that workforce would have, how would that differ from what, what it has today? We would do so much of it. In fact, I really, uh, Sid, carry a lot of guilt with respect to the investment we make, especially over the last three years during the pandemic, the investment we make in people uh, with respect to training, probably most of the training we've done in many years is tangential to our um, our financial system implementation, where we're doing both core training on you know accounting practices as well as on the system training. But beyond that, it was you know somebody might go to a course or two or maybe to a week long uh, program of instruction. But for the type of work we do and what we expect of people, we, you know, we invest precious little in their uh, development and um, and education, and it's something that we are mindful of and want to tackle uh, in in a bigger way. Uh, it will require some more resources, so uh, I would invest a lot more in it. In fact, really, I tell people all the time: the only thing we really have to offer are our people, and that should be our first uh, priority, our most important obligation. And we should be investing, you know, multiples in that as opposed to what we do today. We just take it for granted, though. We just think things kind of list along. People are kind of on their own for figuring out what additional training they may, may or may not need. I, I know in a, in a previous conversation that you and I were in, um, you had mentioned that a lot of candidates for, gov- you know, for government jobs aren't really aware of, or potential candidates, I should say, aren't really aware of the benefits um, of a career in federal government. What, what what would you tell them about working for the federal government? I have had some experience both in the commercial world and consulting and uh, in the military and then in the federal government. And what I would tell them is, depending on your lifestyle, like maybe when you're younger, you want to try something that seems a little bit more dynamic and glamorous. And not that the, that, I'm sorry, that the federal government can't be that. But as you get older, uh, especially if you work in consulting, you know, you'll find that the, the turnover is, uh, you know, higher in consulting than it is, for example, in the VA. Uh, and sometimes it can, you know, there can be some job security issues depending on what engagement you're on or not on or your client. You might have to move around. You might have to travel a lot. And I think that, um, you know, as you mature a little bit, depending on your lifestyle, you may want a more stable type of, uh, of work environment, you know, one that you know uh, you don't have to worry about the, the the client or the contract or things like that. 
Um, and the government offers that. It offers a lot of the same type of work with a bit more stability, uh, decent retirement, great health care, those types of things. And so I think the key is to you know educate people so when the time is right, when they're interested, um, you know, they turn and they know enough about the federal government to know that it's not this sort of big mystery how to get in. And that, um, you know, if you couple that with my magic wand choice of flexibility, where if the time is right for you, we want to talk to you and we're going to try and tailor something that meets your needs. I think we would have a, you know, a win-win. Yeah, which actually leads me into my, my next question, which was perhaps more about um, college hires. Um, but but maybe maybe what you just said is as relevant as well, which is you know what are the best sources when you're when you're hiring, and perhaps hiring for a future workforce. What what are the best sources for for finding that talent, and and how would you leverage that those those sources? You know we have done such a poor job of this. The uh, the ways that I know, or I, when I meet people that come in the federal government, a lot of them come in through the presidential management fellow, PMF, um, I rarely see like a new college recruit, especially an accountant, uh, walking the halls of the VA. Most people we hire are coming from another agency. But it's interesting because I, I talk to a lot of people that would like to get in with the federal government. Um, you know, the hiring process is a little convoluted. Sometimes they are edged out by other people that may have veteran preference or some other preference or uh, you're already in the federal government. And that, I think, dissuades people. Um, but I would like to, and we've talked about what are ways if we had direct hire authority that we could hire people. Um, the other part of it, though, is if they're interested in coming uh, to work for the federal government. My daughter did a number of uh, internships in her college uh, with the federal government. And when she graduated, you know, she just really felt like I want to do something more glamorous. Uh, and the work she's doing is not really more glamorous than government work. It's just with a private company. So I don't know how to change that mindset necessarily to get people interested enough to talk to us and then us to have the flexibility to hire them. But it is a huge uh, deficit right now. We are not bringing on young people like that in the, in the numbers that we need to. I'm going to turn to succession planning. So as members of the existing workforce retire, how do you make sure that your organization retains the institutional knowledge and experience? So you are like hitting on all my weakest areas and I have many weak areas, but succession planning is another one that we just like stumble along and it's the, you know, the quintessential uh, sort of government way that we have people in key positions that have been around for a long time. We have other people kind of around them that don't know quite as much, but it would be like the next maybe best fit, but we don't do anything formally to recognize that or to develop it. One of the things that we're doing this year, and this is a very kind of stupid, simple thing, is I have asked all of our leadership to come up with opportunities throughout the year that when uh, when someone goes on leave in a, a senior position or supervisory position, that they pick someone and maybe pick somebody different to fill in for them for the week or two weeks or whatever it is. So they get an opportunity to uh, to learn what it's like at the next level because. I think it, you know, it, it gives us an opportunity to evaluate them. It gives them an opportunity to see what it's like at that level. And it also makes them better in their current position. There's no, really no cost to it. It's just a matter of a little bit of effort. Um, you know, if I had more resources and more time uh, with everything else we have going on, you know, we would have a more formal succession plan because that is key. And I've seen in the time that I've been here, a number of people that are like really national treasures 
go that we worried about. And our quality, uh, you know, consistency, timeliness did suffer when they walked out the door. So that's definitely an area that, um, you know, I have not cracked the nut on, but we need to spend more time and effort. And we're going through this year with a, kind of that modest thing that I just described. Over time, though, I would like to put more uh, more investment into it. Yeah, and I think the, the thing that you alluded to uh, in part is, is, is leadership development and making sure how, you know, I mean, that's really, honestly, that's a critical part of any organization, as you know, and, um, you know, making sure that emerging, emerging leaders, A, that you, you identify them, and then, of course, making sure that they see a strong career path for themselves in the environment they're in. We get so much feedback from people that feel like there's really no upward mobility here. People, you know, people in senior levels hang around uh, or sometimes when they leave, you don't hire from within. So that's why you know, we want to leave and go to another organization. So uh, we're mindful of that and we're trying to develop uh, more people from within so they're ready for that next level, like they're the heir apparent, or at least we have several of them um, you know, that are ready for the next level. So all of this is going to require, and you know, a lot of what you've been uh, discussing is going to require culture change from where, where, where the workforce is today. I'm going to quote from a 2019 CFO Council report on workforce modernization. And the report said, for many years, the financial management workforce has been predominantly focused on clients' tasks with comparatively fewer resources devoted to strategic decision-making. Advanced technology provides a catalyst, enabling the automation of some, if not all, compliance-oriented tasks. So in other words, expectations of the workforce are going to change quite a bit. And conversely, uh, this is something you mentioned earlier, the workforce itself is going to have different expectations. Um, about what work is, where it's performed due to demographic shifts and evolving evolving ideas about where and how you even do work. So how do you how do you go about instilling a process that's going to change this culture? It's a good question. I can tell you yeah, I, I'm for sure going to fail it because we're like late adopters when it comes to some of these things. Like what you're saying is absolutely true. What I can see actually happening is, we're going to continue to focus on compliance, you know, driven by things like the financial statement audit, IG reports, and things like that. Um, you know, just as the technology is sort of uh, evolving, that will take care of that for us. And then someday we're going to wake up and realize, oh, we don't need to focus on that compliance stuff anymore. We should have been thinking, you know, uh, 10 years ago about how to change the workforce, um, you know, and, and we, di we didn't do it in a meaningful way. Um, so I think that, uh, I mean, I, it's something that we need to give more thought to. How to develop that, though, when we still have compliance requirements and to develop that other skill. What happens now is there are people that are just kind of like innate leaders, I think, that um, you know, sort of see the big picture. And as they're developing, even though they're doing compliance type work, uh, they're developing kind of their leadership skills. And those are the people that historically will ascend to higher levels. But there's a whole population out there, people that, that can be uh, you know, coached or learn that as well that are missing uh, opportunity that can be as good or better than the person that maybe had the innate skills. So the key to me is um, to try and develop that as part of our succession planning, as part of the training, uh, mentoring, those types of things, which I mentioned, um, you know, we, we have not done effectively in a formal way, but it's something that we realize that we need to do. We take modest steps towards it. Like we're taking modest steps towards better training, 
succession planning and things like that, not on the scale or the complexity that we should though. And then just one last question about culture change. How do you make sure that workforce culture continues to embrace diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility? And what do you think the benefits are to doing so? You definitely have to be mindful of it. And I'll tell you that um, the example I gave where you know we make opportunities available for people to uh, sit in for their supervisor or training opportunities or things like that, um, it's been my experience that we have not always done that equally or effectively uh, across our entire population. And so then when it comes time for uh, you know someone to apply for their supervisor's job, not everybody's had the same opportunities. And so, and just to be very blunt, a lot of times, um, you know, pe- minorities have not had the same opportunities coming up. So they don't look on paper as good as the person that's had more opportunity. The thing we really have to do is make sure that everybody gets the opportunity. And what you find is, um, regardless of, you know, diversity or anything else, what you're looking for is the best candidate for the job. And if you're narrowly focused just on kind of, you know, one ethnic group, you're missing a tremendous opportunity. I think you know, we've all been in situations where it didn't make any difference what the person's race was. Like you had the right person in the right place at the right time, and they made you look like a hero. That's what you're looking for. And so if you narrowly limit it to only one ethnic group, uh, you are severely you know, hindering, I think, your own success. Okay. And that that seems a, a great point to, to close on. So We've covered a lot of ground today. Um, as, as we close, what are the three or four things that you would emphasize that you'd like listeners to take away from this podcast? Well, one is uh, if you know somebody you or you know somebody that's interested in federal employment to explore it because we need good people. Uh, I think in the last three years, we've noticed more people retiring than probably any other period, and certainly in my you know 30 plus year period. Uh, uh, career. And so I think that's that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, to point out deficiencies to us where you can tell that we're not providing or, um, you know, delivering on training or benefits packages or things like that, rather than to, you know, to grouse about it or, you know, to, to raise it or be, I guess, the, you know, the, the change, I forget the saying, the change that you want the world to be, whatever that saying is, like to be the catalyst for it, I think is uh, is something else. And when I see people do that, uh, you know, really, uh, uh, I guess heart- heartens me because I know that um, they care enough, and there is like uh, you know a cadre of people that you know want to make the federal workforce successful. Great, thank you, John. Thanks so much for sharing your passion on this topic, and for being generous with your time. And a special thanks for everything you do at the VA on behalf of our veterans. Thank you. And that's a wrap on The Buzz with ACT-IAC. Join us next week for more hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on Twitter at ACT-IAC. More information about today's show can be found in the episode notes. For more insights, visit www.actiac.org. Thanks for listening.